Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth of PaleoParents.com. You might also know me as the broth lady or the inventor of the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian. I'm the co-author of several paleo cookbooks, including Eat Like a Dinosaur, Beyond Bacon, Real Life Paleo. I like to talk about health at any size and self-love and personal acceptance. Specifically, I have a love for lifting heavy things. If you're interested in finding more out about that, you can also find me on Strong Woman Radio. And I'm Dr. Sarah Valentine of thepaleomom.com. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. I'm passionate about nutrient density and the intersection of diet and lifestyle with health. Which really means I just love talking about science. News and views, where Sarah and I catch up and you get to listen to our gossip. pretend like we haven't been talking for half an hour already okay but i have to repeat that i did ariel this evening you you so then have I you have gone to... onto instagram and seen the video yet while we were talking about all the other things no so i have to repeat that my very first question was what what is ariel and did you so learn that... what is it tell our tell our listeners it's cirque du soleil with clothes on right <laughs> <laughs> which is totally not how you described it to me but <laughs> that was the visual that i got oh my gosh that's oh you are so beautiful you are Aww. so graceful yeah no i don't think graceful would be the word that i would use but thank you um but i really i really want one it if like is definitely core work and it feels really great to be like Weight like to transition in and out of weightlessness and then to hold up your own strength and like I really loved playing with it. So I'm gonna so see is this in a studio? Yes. Yeah, I like... went I went with Viv to her pole studio because Viv does um Viv, who I co host strongly on the radio with, does pole at least once a week and they have what they call fly. And today was like an open gym for them kind of thing. And so I went and played with the fly. So I'm just, I'm just, um, having the same reaction that 17% of our listeners are having of open gym poll <laughs> of, of, wait, wait, it's just making my brain. I am twist. such a prude as many people know, because I don't like to talk about poop. I'm the same way with like anything intimate about one's person. So you can imagine my level of awkward when I walked in <laughs> to the pole studio and like I'm wearing knee-high boots, long pants with a skirt over top, with like a tank top and a shirt over top and a scarf. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> and all so, of them are in their underwear. Right. I was going to say that made the word overdressed like yep. and just took it. <laughs> took it to the next level yep yep <laughs> but you know they felt comfortable i felt comfortable let us just judgment. move on we were good yeah. yeah so i have to say hello and virtual hugs to you from like a bajillion people oh signing from texas Houston, all the texans? texans i can't i lost track of how many people said i, I love your podcast you and stacy are the best 
I had one person say, I heard you on another podcast, which I won't actually repeat on our podcast because I don't think that's nice. Um, and I started listening to the Paley View and stopped listening to the other. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that's why I'm not saying which other podcast that was. I'll tell you privately later. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I was like, that's a pretty fun story and I'll, I'll take it. Thank you. Um, we had a couple more male listeners come and say hello, woo, woo. which I always I love. Think we're I probably th- in the 20s by now. Easily. Like 27, maybe. <laughs> um, We're just kidding. We know that there's more of you out there, guys. <laughs> so I think it's like our version of Rob Wolf's six listener joke. Yes. Yes. Male so listeners. Now we got 27. It's good. Yeah. When you've got a good joke, why move on? <laughs> <laughs> so when um, the joke is so old that you realize like it's so stale and you can't recover. You just try to make it fresh again by repeating over and over. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, it was, it was funny the first time. Yeah. Got to be funny the 7,623rd time, Well, right? the first time it probably wasn't a joke. The first time we were probably, <laughs> probably, probably yeah. serious. Six listeners. Yes. Yes, that is what happened. <sighs> um, but uh, just, I just want to thank uh, everyone who came out um, in Austin and Houston. They were really event wonderful events it was my first time in houston and can i say something best huggers are in houston everything's bigger best huggers i just i could not believe the high proportion of like <laughs> really good tight squeeze just amazing hugs in houston and uh, i was impressed and um and because when you bring me presents, I say your name on the podcast. <laughs> Special thank you to Pam, who brought me a little bag with a beautiful tea towel in it and some wonderful, like, AIP snack foods. Obviously, somebody who knows what I like to eat and obviously trolls my Instagram account because it was, like, all my faves in a bag um, that I got to enjoy uh, as a contributor to my picnic dinner on the way to the airport. Mm. Um, so I was, uh, super appreciative of that. So I, st- I still remember like vividly the broth in New York city and the pot roast and those plantain crackers in Chicago, which I can't believe I haven't made because they're your recipe. And they were like, they were exactly what I needed in that moment. The Chicago trip was like so insane. So I can imagine that you were appreciative. It was, also, of it was such a crazy trip because I... Flew out first thing um, Friday morning, and then um, you know had a work working lunch. Um, Carissa, um, who's my uh, chief operations officer, lives in Austin, so she took me out to get my hair blown out, which was lovely, um, and ma- made my suitcase so much lighter to not have to think about what, what I'm going to do with my hair. <laughs> um, and then we had uh, an AIP. Uh, dinner at Vox Table, which was amazing. The chef did when we just gave him a list of here, here's what we can't eat. Please make us something. And he made us this like four course dinner that was phenomenal. Um, and so that was like all of the local Austin AIP bloggers. It was phenomenal. And then straight to the signing. And then it was like midnight all of a sudden. Uh, Central time. And I'm used to Eastern time. I'm like, ah, mm. this. And then I had to get up early to hit picnic on the drive to Houston and then went from the book signing to the airport to fly home to land at 11 PM. 
and have a very harrowing drive home. I actually um, was the car immediately behind a four-car wreck on the highway on on the connector. So if people are familiar with Atlanta, the connector is like at that point, it's six lanes in either direction. Um, and I was just really lucky that I had enough stopping distance because um, I slammed on the brakes and screeched to a halt and was about 10 feet shy of the, the two cars that were in the worst shape were immediately in front of me and they were both totaled. Um, I don't think anybody was seriously injured. There was one guy who definitely was going to go get looked at. Um, but that uh, took away my problem of what I was going to do to stay awake for the rest of the drive home <laughs> because I had so much adrenaline going through my system. Um, and it was one of those, aha, perspective. Because that was, and even like the car, I was lucky the car behind me didn't have enough space, but was able to swerve into the lane beside him. Um, so I didn't get rear-ended by the car behind me. It was just one of those like really, really near misses. And I um, felt very fortunate. I kind of felt like there was horseshoes dancing on my head. <laughs> um, and then, of course, that made it hard for me to sleep because by the time I got home, I was I was just wired, just I mean, like overtired and then with this shot of adrenaline. So I am in recovery mode today um, and will be in recovery mode uh, every day this week, except Tuesday. If you do live in Atlanta, it's this podcast goes live after Tuesday. So I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing because you'll miss it. <laughs> um, I was wondering if you'd done that math yeah. yet. I was like waiting. <laughs> I'm doing something really cool on Tuesday and um, there's not enough time for me to tell Atlantans what I'm doing. Hopefully you followed my social media and you saw that I was uh, opening up the brand new Piedmont Sprouts and on Atlanta and company in the morning. Hopefully you guys all saw that. I will hopefully have great footage to share from all of that. So um, if you didn't see it, I would suggest checking my social media sites because I probably shared uh, Holy Smokes, Here's Me on TV because that well, unless I bomb and then I'm not sharing it with anybody <laughs> and I'll like text Matt and be like, cut this out of the podcast. And he'll be like, nope, too late. It's already edited. Um, so the, that's going to be on TV on Tuesday. Super exciting. Uh, yes. And I've yes. never been to a Sprouts, so you'll have to tell me how that goes. I mean, uh, I'm sure it'll be great, but. They're really amazing stores. So if you live near Sprouts, I am phenomenally impressed. So I had one open up. Uh, not even a month ago, very, very close to my house. Um, and it's, it is, I feel like a very, it's a very health focused, but it sort of caters to a lot of different uh, diets that are um, promoted for better health. So, it, you know, it caters to the Mediterranean diet as, and as much as it caters to paleo, but it carries tons of neat paleo products i mean it also has crazy grains and other things it's not like it's a paleo grocery store but it it has some really neat stuff um really good prices i'm really impressed with their produce section and their bulk section and um they carry chameleon cold brew which i was really excited about because my local whole foods doesn't so um it's definitely uh, one of now I've just added yet another grocery store to my rotation. I know it's like I'll just go to all the grocery stores all the time, and that way I'll get all the food. I think that's my that's my big plan. But yeah, I uh, I'm super excited to be 
partnering with Sprouts to help them launch their new store. And um, that's, yeah, that's my big. And then I'm taking a break, everybody, because boy, do I need one. It'll be like two hours one day. Well, like the experience of going from store to store to store to store was something that we totally did as well. And we put up the series in our blog about meal planning every week now. We did one for the Healing Kitchen, but we do one every week. And that has been huge for us in terms of like focusing because we know exactly what we need now and we don't go to as many stores as often. So I think I go saying. to I go to three stores regularly uh plus the farmers market when the farmers market is running. And for me it's more that I've just developed my favorite you know, I have my favorite version of my favorite place that has my favorite this thing. And so what ends up happening is I have the couple of places I go the most frequently. And then the places where I have my favorite thing. So I have, you know, like there's certain Trader Joe's products, for example, that I just really love. But I can get away with going to Trader Joe's every few weeks and kind of stocking up. So, um, yeah, so, that's that's how we handle Trader Joe's and Costco. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, for me, it's it's not that I'm I'm shopping for groceries every other day, um, but I do sort of have the OK, I know I need these are the things on my list. I know I need, you know this and this and I don't want to give up right I don't, I don't I don't want to I don't want to get the second best version of whatever it is so um so what I tend to do is sort of batch and sort of save it up when I know okay all of these things are great things that I can get at Sprouts or all these things are great things that I can get at Whole Foods and then I kind of do targeted shopping and there's lots of things that are good at all the stores so then I round out with the things that are more general and I don't really care where I buy them Oh, shopping. That wasn't what we were going to talk about. No, we have a lot to talk about. And because we chatted so much earlier, maybe we should actually kind of jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a good idea. So um, I was looking at some of the questions that uh, have been submitted to the Paleo View lately. And I kind of hit on quite a few Really, I I kind of felt like there were general health questions that are fairly common questions. And I just kind of felt like um, it's paleo FAQ. I feel like these are a little bit even more broader approach to paleo, broader health, broad, broader, right? The whole, the idea of doing paleo for lifelong health rather than um, the autoimmune protocol type goals or weight loss goals. And I think we've you know, we've done thematic shows about that before, and I'm sure we'll do them again because questions on those topics are always coming in. But I just kind of felt like, hey, wow, these, this, the, I've got this collection of questions here that I can sort of categorize as as general health questions. But, um, but I, I think they they kind of fit together as a as a show. So we're kind of doing, um, I think we'll call it common general health questions, something like that. Um, so it's a little, a little bit less focused than I think a lot of our shows are, but I think, um, I think we're going to hit on some really great, you know, frequently thought about concepts within paleo, not just for newbies, but for people who have been doing this for a while. So I'm kind of, I think it's going to be cool. I mean, if I didn't think it would be cool, we wouldn't be doing it. So <laughs> either it's cool or you're kind that's that's the way right but i also i have some science i want to talk about first 
Next segment is Science with Sarah, where I take a moment to explain the details and the whys. So I love the fact that we record our podcast and that we don't have this huge delay between when we record and when our podcasts go live. So I know that other podcasts, they might batch record, you know, 20 in a couple of weeks and then those podcasts trickle out over months Um, or people will pre-record with two, three weeks in advance uh, so that they can get full transcripts done. And it's one of the reasons why we don't get full transcripts done is because, first of all, we think our show notes are amazing. Um, And second of all, because we really prefer to have this short period of time between when we record and when the podcast goes live so that we can be really current, Uh, which normally we're really current in news and views. But today I want to be really current in Science with Sarah. And it's because... This new paper came out. I actually just read it on Friday. The paper is not even two weeks old, and it is probably the most depressing scientific paper I've ever read, but incredibly actionable and something that I think is information that everyone needs to know. Um, So I wanted to share that um, with you today in Science with Sarah. So the paper was published in Nature, which is arguably the most prestigious scientific journal. It is definitely, um, I mean, science is also extremely prestigious. Nature tends to do more of the medical stuff and science tends to do more technology. But those are like the two journals that meet, once you get one paper in those journals, your scientific career is made. Um, They are incredibly uh, hard to get your work into. Your work has to be earth-shatteringly important and incredibly rigorous in order to make it into those journals. This paper was called Diet-Induced Extinctions in the Gut Microbiota Compound Over Generations, which for some people, they would be like, what? For me, I was like, holy moly, like, let me find somebody who can get me the full version of this paper so I don't spend $200. I read the entire paper um, nearly in tears. So um, what the researchers did is they asked actually a really simple question, which was what happens to the gut microbiome when we go on a low fiber diet? Um, And they were really looking at, you know, their analogy was the standard American diet is a low fiber diet, right? As foods get more processed and refined, as the amount of fast food that we eat um, increases. These are all foods that, you know, the more you process and refine a food, the more nutrients and fiber are taken out of that food. And the typical Western diet now is lower fiber than it's ever been, ever. And so they were looking at that, but it's not the only low fiber diet. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, but that was the, the, um, broader impact that these authors were considering. So they were asking, what happens to the gut microbiome when we go on this low-fiber diet? Are those changes reversible? And if not, what happens over subsequent generations? Because we know that uh, we largely uh, inherit our parents' microbiomes. Um, So uh, the microbiome is and I've talked about this on the show before, but let's just let's just have a quick a quick little summary session here. The gut microbiome refers to the collection of microbes that are living in our digestive tracts. This is mostly bacteria, but there other are other types of you know viruses, 
um, bacteria, bacteria, yeast, other types of um, single cell organisms that live in our digestive tracts. We know that we have at least as many cells in our guts as we have cells in our body, if not about double. And that's kind of new science, actually, too. We used to say there was 10 times as many cells living in our digestive tracts as cells in our bodies, but that's actually uh, over approximation. And we have a completely codependent symbiotic relationship with these bacteria. So uh, the thing that we give them is a home and food. Um, and the thing that they give us is invaluable and irreplaceable health benefits, period. Uh, they help us digest our food. They help us access nutrients from our food. They create nutrients from our food for us to absorb. They regulate the immune system. They regulate our metabolism. They regulate our gut barriers. They regulate our neurotransmitters. They impact every system in our bodies because they impact things like hormones, cytokines, and neurotransmitters. So they produce a ton of chemical messengers that get into our blood and can influence everything from brain health to skin health to immune health. Um, and so one of the things that we know is that a healthy gut microbiome is a necessary condition for overall health and that every chronic illness in which we've looked to see if there's something happening with the the gut microbiome, we found that, yes, there is. There's some kind of dysbiosis, some kind of wrong kind of bacteria growing in the wrong numbers in the wrong places in the gut, and is that's linked to disease and typically is a precondition for the disease. So you cannot develop, for example, certain autoimmune diseases unless you have gut dysbiosis first, and um, that's actually been discovered in every single autoimmune disease in which it has been investigated so far. So the other thing that we know about the gut microbiome is that what makes a healthy gut microbiome is a um, highly varied one. So the more variety and different types of species that we have in our gut bacteria, the better. There's something like 35,000 different microbes that can live in the human gut um, across all humans in the world. Each one of us has something like 500 to 1,000 different species. And we know that it's far better to be on the thousand end of that spectrum, if not even more, compared to the 500 end of the spectrum. And the way that we do that is by eating a fiber-rich diet. So what bacteria generally eat is fiber. And they eat different, ba different bacteria, different microbes, prefer different types of fiber. So the best way to do that is, is to consume for us a very wide range of veggies and fruit, um, things like nuts and seeds as well. And and focusing on big portions of especially um, non-starchy vegetables for their fiber and as much variety as, as, as possible. Um, we know that too high of fat can mess with um, the type of bacteria that like to grow in our body. And we know that long chain omega-3 fats, so DHA and EPA from seafood, is incredibly important for the health of our gut microbiomes. So that's where our diet fits in with what we know is a healthy microbiome. So how does this low fiber diet, you know, we're, if we're not providing the food for our bacteria, how does that affect the bacteria? So what this study did was it used um, what's called humanized mice. So these are mice with a human microbiome. And they divided the mice into two groups. They fed one group a diet that was rich in a diversity of vegetable-derived fibers and they fed the other group a low-fiber diet, mimicking the fiber content of a standard American diet that's sort of rich in fast food. And then what they did was they um, used genetic sequencing to quantify the amount of bacteria from two 
hundred different species of bacteria or 208. It was a little bit over 200 in um, their poop. Um, and the reason why they did this particular few hundred different species of bacteria is because they were the ones that had the most reliable gene sequences. So it was reliability of our ability to measure them. So after four weeks on the low fiber diet, there was a 60% drop in the diversity of the gut bacteria. So there was only 40% left of the number of different species um, after just four weeks on this low fiber diet in these mice. But this is where things start to get depressing and um, made me <laughs> fight back tears while I was reading this on the plane. Um, after seven weeks of going back on a high fiber diet, only half of the lost species came back. So there was still a 30% reduction, or it's actually a little bit more, 33% reduction in the number of species after seven weeks, which is a very long time in a mouse's life um, of these species that that had um, that had come back. And so then what the researchers did, which um, it just compounds the depression aspect of this paper, was that they then started going, looking at what happens over generations. And they had a huge variety of different different experiments to test this. They ended up going over for four generations and they looked at if the mice were weaned onto a low fiber diet versus weaned onto a high fiber diet versus, right. And then they kept doing the low fiber diet for four weeks and switched back to the high fiber diet for seven weeks. But basically what they saw was this progressive decline in the number of species that could come back after the return to a high fiber diet with each generation. So the mice are inheriting this, less diverse microbiome. So even when they go on the high fiber diet, they weren't, they weren't exposed. They, you know, there wasn't this inoculation with that same diversity of bacteria. So they can't, they can't return to the microbiome of a mouse that never went on a low fiber diet. And by four generations, 72% of the bacterial diversity was irreversibly lost in these mice. And so what this paper was really trying to emphasize was that if we don't fix the food system fast, we're not going to be able to recover human health because of how inextricably linked our health is with this diversity of the gut microbiome. And when we're talking about loss of bacterial diversity, we're talking about bacterial extinction. I mean, yes, it's extinction of one person, but we're talking about an entire society that's eating this way. You you end up with, with entire groups of people who are losing these bacteria. And then we can't get, can't, you know, if we're not even living in proximity with people with those bacteria, there's like no mechanism for exposure. And in fact, the researchers showed that the only treatment uh, probiotic treatment was not sufficient. The only treatment that allowed the full return of the microbiome diversity was a fecal microbiota transplant or an FMT. And that is certainly a procedure that is available for, for humans, um, but it's not an easy one to get. Right now, um, it's only approved for certain uh, situations like Clostridium difficile, I think. And, um, and so a lot of people who want uh, FMTs are actually going out of country in order to get them. And so it's, I mean, if we get to the point where our only, our only mechanism of reversing the tide of disease in Western societies is getting poop from 
rural places around the world that haven't ever been exposed to these types of disease and like doing fecal microbiota transplants en masse, like that to me is the beginning of a teen romance dystopic future novel, um, which I would totally read. But I don't think that's a good place that that we want to go as a society. I don't think teens would really want to read that. (laughs) True true that, that true that. All right. It would have to be like, there, there would have to, it would there'd have to be some heavy sci-fi aspect where it was masked and people didn't know <laughs> what was really going on. And then they find out at the end, it's the plot twist. Oh my God, it's just poop. Right. Um, then Matt Damon could be in the movie. No. Okay. So, um, so one of the things I want to emphasize here is even though the paper was talking about a standard American diet, a fast food centered diet, those aren't the only low fiber diets out there that are causing this loss of um, bacterial diversity in our guts. So a low-carb diet is almost always also a low-fiber diet, and a ketogenic diet is is 99.9999% of the time a low-fiber diet. And when you combine that those are high-fat diets and high-fat, above about 60% fat has also been shown to cause gut dysbiosis and encourage the growth of pathogenic species of bacteria. Now we're talking about something that is relatively embraced or at least accepted within the paleo movement. Although I've talked on the show before that I I don't believe that's, that's correct. Um, But we're talking about, about things that, you know, nobody's talking about how that could affect the gut microbiome. Well, I'm talking about it now. Um, I really believe that, even within the paleo movement, we need to be focusing on higher vegetable consumption. And um, it's one of my, you know, Stacy's hashtag, more vegetables than a vegetarian. I've been using hashtag three quarters veggies. Um, these are concepts that need to get more traction within the community um, because we're not just, we're, I mean, with vegetables, we're not just worried about fiber. It's amazing, right? Best source of fiber we can get is vegetables. But vegetables also have really bioavailable minerals. Tons of uh, vitamins and also phytochemicals, which have incredibly diverse uh, full body health benefits. So there's there's zero downside to lots of veggies. And I would like to encourage everybody, especially in the light of this new study, um, to work on increasing um, our vegetable consumption. So the question, of course, is going to be like, well, how much? How, how much? And I, um, I'm going to answer that. I was going to say, I'm going to leave that to the Q&A, but then I realized I should probably answer it right now. So um, the daily recommended allowance of fiber is 25 grams. Um, And I would challenge people to actually track their fiber intake and see if they're hitting 25 grams. It actually takes a lot of vegetable intake to get to 25 grams. Um, Studies of hunter-gatherers show usual consumption between 50 grams and 200 grams daily of fiber. Um, And so... My my recommendation um, is to aim for something like nine to fourteen servings of vegetables a day, um, a mix of starchy and non-starchy vegetables, and actually I I recommend using a food journal or an app like Chronometer. Does my Fitness Pal track fiber, Stacey? It does, but the problem is that some of the foods that you might choose, if they don't put in the fiber. So, like, if someone creates a recipe, and I'm using the quotation marks here, and they don't select the authorized carrot or the, like, there's little verified 
check mark next to things and those are the actual true things that have all nutrients so if someone creates something and it doesn't have all the verified things and it's not going to have i find very often that micronutrients are missing from a lot of foods and only macronutrients so when i look at my picture for the day it's really giving me representation of like 50 percent. if i'm not you know if i'm not inputting everything myself if i'm just grabbing from from certain things so be careful if you are using my fitness pal because at first I was like, "Oh my gosh, why is my calcium and my fiber and my vitamin A so low? I know that I ate, you know, spinach and kale or you know, like whatever it is." And then I realized that it was because those foods weren't um, so input per- correctly. Chronometer will also have it. It draws on a couple of different databases, but it has the entire USDA database in it. And when you see instead of like a little verified check, it'll say that that's the nutrients that comes from USDA. It's selection of, I think the more high high quality paleo foods is a little bit more limited, but it does have some grass-fed meat in there that is, um, seems pretty accurate in terms of the micronutrients. So, um, and chronometer is what I use to track my micronutrient intake. I really recommend, I mean, not, I, I, I like food journaling. To me, it is very, very helpful to be to just have that level of awareness. I don't, I know that doesn't work for everybody, um, but I do recommend taking a journal for just for a couple of days just to see if you're close to on track with fiber intake. I think it's really, really important. Um, I, I think, you know, we call fiber a non essential nutrient, and I think that's a mistake. Um, you know, just because we won't die if we don't eat it for a while, um, I think it's very, very clear that it can. If we don't eat it for a while, it um, it damages our health in a way that is incredibly difficult to recover from. So uh, eat 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 more vegetables. Um, look for sources of probiotics for re-inoculation, um, and uh, don't regret the things that you've done in the past. I followed a low-carbohydrate diet for a very long time. Um, I know that I have that to recover from. I also have been, I was a very sickly child and I was on antibiotics on average of 10 times a year growing up. So I have that to recover from. There's similar studies showing that once you're on antibiotics, once there are species in the microbiome that are lost that never come back. So uh, we all have these challenges. The point is not to regret what we didn't know before, but to let it inform our choices moving forward. It was a lot of science. <laughs> I'm glad you covered the antibiotic portion at the end because I was kind of curious if that had come into play. So awesome. We can answer a few questions. Questions and answers, where we answer questions submitted by you through the contact form on our websites, paleomom.com and paleoparents.com. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only help. So our first question is from Mary. And I put it as our first question because I knew I was going to talk about fiber and the science. So her first question was, how much fiber do we need to be healthy? And I've already answered that, which is sort of a bare minimum of 25 grams, 50 to 200 grams uh, mimics what hunter-gatherers eat. Um, But the next part of her question is, can you overdo fiber? Um, Which I think is worth discussing. Generally, the answer is no. But there's a big but that comes at the end of that sentence. So um, bacteria help us break down fiber. Um, They 
ferment fiber that uh, then they go through their life cycle that creates the bulk that is our stool. Our stool is about 80% made up of dead bacteria. Um, and when we don't have the right type of bacteria to help us break down that fiber, it can cause gastrointestinal symptoms. And that can vary from diarrhea, constipation, bloating, um, distension, um, and it can, uh, or undigested food particles, right? So just inefficient digestion. Um, and that can be very frustrating. Um, it's something that, um, you know, it, it can happen for people as they're gradually trying to increase their fiber intake. It also happens, we see this in these dietary strategies designed for SIBO that have a starve the gut bacteria. Um, so GAPS, SCD, low FODMAPs, all of those strategies are designed to be short-term interventions. And they're not actually at all a good idea for long-term. Um, because what happens is you starve everything by cutting out fermentable fibers um, but then you don't have anything for the good guys to grow. And the best thing you can do to keep the bad guys in check is have lots of good guys around. So those strategies work really well for the two to four week time frame. Afterwards, it becomes um, really important to gradually increase fiber intake. And when people are having symptoms, it's, um, it's some of the, the strategies that we take is one is pull back, increase slower. Um, so if you have to pull back to, you know, if you went on a low FODMAP diet and you're trying to reintroduce FODMAPs, you might have to start at, at like a teaspoon of a sweet potato a day. Um, so you do it to tolerance. So if you're getting symptoms, pull back and then slowly, slowly increase until um, you're at a full portion size. And so we can do that even in the context of going from a diet that just never really had fiber on its radar to, okay, now I'm going to try and get 50 grams a day. And the reason for that is a lot of the good bacteria that we're trying to grow with a high fiber diet um, that we, we know are so important for health are slow growers. And so they're slow growers and they're going to help us digest all this extra fiber. So it can be very overwhelming for our systems to go from a low fiber diet to a high fiber diet right away. So easing into it um, and monitoring GI symptoms, pulling back when GI symptoms appear or are severe. I mean, if they're, they're mild and it's not intruding in your life, then uh, and, and you don't have overt health problems. I don't see that as being a big deal, just, um, uh, you know, if they're very mild, but, um, but if they are intrusive symptoms, pull back a little bit and start working on, I'm um, going up more slowly and also working on, um, more foods that are going to help inoculate the gut. So fermented foods, um, things like uh, playing in the dirt, um, finding locally grown organic vegetables and not washing the dirt. I mean, washing the big bits of dirt off, but not washing the little bits of dirt off. Um, those are great sources of, of different types of probiotics. Um, and is there a cap? I mean, when I look at hunter gatherers eating 200 grams of fiber a day and what I would have to do in my life to get 200 grams of fiber, like, yeah, I guess, I guess, I mean, yeah, I guess 200 grams is a cap if that's what we see in hundred gatherers, but it's, it's not something that I think anybody eating out of a, a Western food supply is, is going to have to worry about. Okay. Yeah. I just totally railroaded that question, didn't I? <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Next. Um, 
This question is from Glenda. What are the best numbers to pay attention to for general health? Are there questions I should be asking my doctor during my yearly physical? So, um, it really depends on your doctor, first of all. Let me just say that I've had doctors that run tests and don't look into things or interpret things differently than other doctors. Some doctors don't even run the same tests. So I think it's important for me, I would recommend that you know ahead of time what it is that you're looking to gain from your yearly physical um, and ask for those things. Some practitioners practitioners might say they can't give them to you, but for the most part, if you say, and we've talked, for example, before about specifically what to look for on a thyroid test, for example, you can go back to our Hashi show and, and look at that, right? So if you know that you think you might have some sort of condition and you want a full panel on something, know that ahead of time. Um, and they might say, well, let's run, you know, your regular numbers and then see how it comes back. If it looks a little iffy, then we can do a full panel. Um, or some doctors right away can say, okay, yeah, great. Um, let me run that. I'll say that I ended up finding a doctor locally different from the doctor that I'd had before I was paleo and all that kind of stuff who, you know, looked into, for example, not just my total cholesterol my total cholesterol numbers, but when they ran their panel, they did triglycerides in addition to the H, oh goodness, I really should have Googled um, and reminded myself before we did the show, but the good cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, remind me, Sarah, what are the... HDL's good, LDL's bad. Yeah. I, re- I remembered H. I couldn't remember the other one. Anyway, <laughs> um, but the triglycerides was most important for me because that's an indicator of the kind of fats and the and the sugars and the way that your body's processing things. So for me, um, you know, it was great to to see that breakdown as on just a first pass. So blood sugar is another one that I think is really good if they can give you a detailed information on. Um, that was really helpful for me to see uh, the different ways not just your um, AC1, which is also returned, but you can get more in-depth on a lot of those different kinds of things. So I think it's just a matter of who you are and what what you're interested in finding out. For me, I was like, give me the world, <laughs> whatever, and whatever kind of in-depth panel you can give it back. And because I have, you know, a history of morbid obesity and I'm still overweight, it's pretty easy to justify, hey, we want to look into all these different things. And so they're able to get um, that full panel put through. So Any, yeah. maybe you could answer the specific question she should well, ask. I mean, I think that the numbers that a regular physician will look at and care about like HDL, LDL, cholesterol, hemoglobin A1C, fasting blood glucose, fasting insulin, uh, general thyroid numbers, vitamin D, um, C-reactive protein, um, you know, looking at a CBC differential, that's um, a complete blood cell, a blood cell count. Uh, differential, so it tells you the different types of cells. I mean, those are all really good measurements. Like, I, you know, it's not, I don't, like, medicine's awesome. I don't see why we have to be so um, 
So, I mean, I know I totally see why we have to be so jaded, but uh, it doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I think that being a little bit more educated about reference ranges, because a lot of uh, what a doctor will say is fine is not fine. And sometimes, especially when it comes to cholesterol, what a doctor will say is a problem is not a problem. So, for example, if your total cholesterol is a tiny bit high, but it's because your HDL is through the roof um, and your triglycerides are really low, that's amazing. Um, but a doctor might say, oh, well, your total cholesterol is high. We need to work on that. Um, but, you know, if your total cholesterol is high because your LDL is high and your triglycerides are, you know, even moderate, that's definitely time to make some changes. Um, so I think that all those numbers that, you know, a, 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 you know blood pressure um, that that uh, a doctor would would look at in a general physical, they're all informative um, and they're all the numbers that are used. They're all the sort of it's what we have available as quantifiable health measures. Now, if you think that you've got a problem with a certain you know system, endocrine system like thyroid, you know, that's where um, requesting more more detailed testing is definitely useful. But if it just comes to like just monitoring how things are going, the usual stuff I think is really great. Um, I would definitely um, suggest making sure your doctor's putting vitamin D on your yearly blood work. Uh, about 75% of us are deficient in vitamin D and that has a really huge impact on uh, just about everything about us. Um, and supplementing with vitamin D is like crazy effective and straightforward. Um, the only thing is you need to do follow-ups. When you start supplementing vitamin D, you need to follow up and make sure that your vitamin D is getting into a good range. Being too high in vitamin D is also problematic. So that's one that isn't always included. Um, and I think should be. Um, other than that, I mean, any other questions I think would be um, specific to symptoms or, or specific health concerns. I think from a from a general health and wellness perspective, I think what a, a doctor is normally looking at for, for a yearly physical is actually a pretty good set of measurements. I just like pissed a bunch of people off with that. Well, I can say even before I knew what I was looking for, um, and I know this because I ended up comparing later results to earlier results. I did get things that would have been helpful for me to know about had I known, like if I had been more educated about the results. I just found that the doctor that I was seeing wasn't very educated. So like my thyroid numbers didn't look great. My, um, oh, my um, White blood cell count, that was the thing I was going to say, right? Like they were running that and it was coming up as a major problem, but it wasn't like discussed or identified as, hey, this could be a symptom of like X, Y, or Z. It was, this doesn't look great. You should see a blood specialist. And that scared me. And I just did nothing with that information. (laughs) I can't hear you. Um, I think it's always good to ask for a copy of your numbers so that you have that copy. And that way, um, you can have a look at um, Institute for Functional Medicine is a great resource Um, and have a look at what, right, there's reference ranges, which are based on what is average. They call it normal, but it's not, right? It's average of a very sick population. So then there's some research that is starting to define a tighter range that is more optimal. So for example, I might have these numbers wrong, but I think it's an A1C, which measures um measures spikes in blood sugar levels but like 
as an average over the last about six weeks. So it kind of tells you how your blood sugar has been doing over time as opposed to your current blood sugar level, which is right now, or your insulin level, which is a little bit more, right, what's right now. So it, it gives you a really good, like, what has been happening for the last little while. Um, and I think that what's considered normal is under 5.5, but what's considered optimal is under 4.5. So um, being able to to look at those numbers and know, um, even if your doctor says they're fine, know whether or not they suggest that some tweaking would be good, um, it's really helpful to have that number in front of you. And um, just remember that when you take those numbers and Google it, that 80% of the internet is BS. Just remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, be careful yeah. when you Google medical when things because you, uh, you're going to feel like you have all the things when you're done Googling whatever it is you're looking do, for. I mean, I, I, I think it's really great to em- empower ourselves with knowledge. Um, it's It's just please remember for most of the people out there that a lot of stuff that looks like knowledge on the internet is not actually. It's more like, yeah, look, look into the credentials and the type of comments that are like, it just, you know, think about where you are. (laughs) Just, okay. We got, we got stuff. Yes. I'm going to keep going. This question is from Kimberly. Um, I've been following paleo for about a month now. And so far I'm really enjoying it. I'm just worried about the amount of protein, fat and carbs my friend who started me on paleo said to just eat as much as I want to of all the yes foods. Are there some general guidelines to follow? There is so much info out there. I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, so the general guidelines that I can give, I'm not going to tell you what's out there because you, you can go to different places and you'll hear a bajillion different things. Let me just tell you. It's all out there. Yeah. Let me just tell you the guidelines I follow. Follow. How about that? I value nutrients. I try to focus on where I'm going to get my nutrients for the day because I do plan my day um, calorically and macro to help me maintain my health um, from both not having a gallbladder, um, from having thyroid disease, and from not being as physically active as I have been because of a an injury over the last six months. So th- those things cause me to be mindful of both the micro and macronutrients that I put into my person. So I am aware, I kind of think ahead of the day, like, do I have some thing that I want to do today? Um, for example, I knew that I was going to brunch earlier this weekend and I wanted to order the gluten-free breakfast pizza, which is pretty much devoid of anything other than just like bacon and cheese and gluten-free pizza. dough. So I knew that I would have to eat vegetables at other points in the day. And so I planned around having a dinner of like basically 100% green things with then um, lamb meatballs on top, which lamb is a good omega-3 fat for me. So um, when I say I value nutrients, that means that I focus on where I'm going to get my nutrient-dense foods um, at the most opportunities that I can. I think about making sure that I get organ meats a couple times a week. And lately, that's been super easy with Epic's um, liver bites. Sarah, are you as obsessed with those as I am? Yes. Okay. All right. 
<laughs> there um, was a long I, like meat okay. there, and I was like, I, hmm. so pepper. So they have black pepper in them. Okay, which means okay. they're not autoimmune protocol. And black pepper was on my food sensitivity panel, um, and they have a lot of black pepper in them. So yeah. I actually don't personally do very well with them, but I love the idea of them. I do think they're very tasty. They just don't work for me or AI peers, and that I think is sad. That's fair. Black pepper is not something that bothers me, so I forget that it is AIP because it it's a it's not a nightshade. So for it's me, a, it's a seed, yeah. but it's um, uh, interestingly enough, so it's a berry spice, but berry spices that incorporates the seed. And interestingly enough, it is one of the most common spice. Uh, food intolerances. I could see. I could see that. I could definitely so, crazy high in phytoestrogens. Yeah. Just throwing that one out there too. So, my point was, <laughs> I think I think about making sure that I get organ meats a couple times a week. I make sure that I get seafood a couple times a week, and I make sure that I get broth a couple times a week. These are the things that I think, like at the beginning of the week, when we make our meal plan, I usually put seafood into the dinner once a week, and then I make sure that I have seafood in the form of like tuna salad or salmon salad or I order oysters if we eat out things like that um twice a week as well and then I have broth if I don't incorporate it into like soups or other things that I'm consuming then I just have mugs of it throughout the week so for me there are things that I personally prioritize because I'm working on healing and maintaining my health um when I started paleo all of those things would have been really overwhelming for me. So when you're kind of a month into paleo and you say like, I'm overwhelmed at, you know, what are the yes paleo foods and the general guidelines, a little more simplistic way to think of that is, is this like the most healthy thing that I can eat? Or is this a food that tastes good? And that's kind of how I phrase it with my kids, right? So we get mixed nuts and there's absolutely nothing wrong for mixed nuts especially for you know active kids it is a great source of um dense energy for them but if you are a person who is trying to lose weight and you sit down and you have a literal Costco size container of nuts and you're reaching in and you're grabbing it and popping it into your mouth the way that you would popcorn you're going to consume a lot more omega-6 fatty acids, which can lead to inflammation. You're going to consume a lot more calories than you necessarily intended. And for a lot of people who have, you know, a nut intolerance, you can also make yourself sick. So there are some foods where, you know, for me in the beginning, I think just prioritizing healthy meats and vegetables and thinking of those as your core food groups are just really important. And then, you know, you can have fruits, but they're not a core food group. And you can have, of course, healthy fats, but it's not a core food group. Like the most important thing from my perspective is really getting in the habit of eating the eating meat and vegetables, because that's really what we try to prioritize in paleo. Uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, I think that in paleo, there's this tendency to go towards the extreme. So people tend to either identify as a safe starcher who eats really high carb or uh, a low carber who eats really high fat. Um, when we actually look at hunter-gatherers, they generally fall in this thing called moderation. 
um, which, (laughs) you know, that everything in moderation is like one of those phrases that I have strongly detested for so long. So it always feels weird when I suggest it. Um, But if you look at hunter gatherers, they're. Uh, ranges for macronutrients fall in the 20 to 35 percent protein, 25 to 40 percent carbs, and like 30 to 50, 55 percent fat. Um, and most of them fall in that like 30, 30, 40, 30, 35, 35, like, like kind of this, like a little bit of everything kind of um, place. And, um, as a like practical from a practical implementation standpoint um to be 30 30 40 or 30 35 35 35 did i say enough 35s there um you know it doesn't really matter which one's protein which one's carbs which one's fat right if you're getting a third a third a third um or you know one's a little bit higher and maybe one day your protein will be a bit higher and another your carbs will be a bit higher another day your fat will be a bit higher but the way that generally looks is about a quarter of your plate being a, a protein and um, maybe one starchy vegetable, a moderate portion of one starchy vegetable and, and a couple of non-starchy vegetables, maybe a piece of fruit or two in the day. Um, and it generally is not like generally if you you can hit 30 to 40 percent of your cal- calories from fat really easily without added fat, like just having the natural font fat content in meat and seafood, maybe you sauteed some vegetables in some fat or roasted some vegetables in some fat. Um, you don't have to drench things with sauces and butter and dressing to hit, you know, 30 to 40% fat. So um, I will say that I eat a higher fat than like you're mentioning and that you've recommended on previous shows. And it's just like how I eat. I don't add things to to foods and stuff. It's just like naturally when I put the foods on my plate and I feel satiated and I'm focusing on vegetables, um, like that's how I, that's just where I end up. And for me, it's like salami is one of the things that I eat a lot of that is, and, and eggs, they're crazy high in fat without like, you know, without adding fat to anything. It is not hard. So if you look at the highest fat range in hunter gatherers of about 55%, it is not, hard to get there from the natural fat content in foods. I mean, especially if you're eating something like avocado or olives or fattier cuts of meat, like you go there really fast without, you know, drenching things in butter or ghee or lard or whatever. So, um, so that, I mean, that's what we see is actually, you know, probably a lower fat than most people typically find themselves eating on paleo. And um, again, you know, I think that's really um, a really important concept to keep in mind that, um, you know, if the whole idea is to emulate hunter-gatherers and paleolithic man, then, um, you know, we can't just emulate one of the two tribes that ate either really high fat or really high carb. Like there's the uh, few dozen, you know, well-studied ones in the middle that are actually um, that that show us that that's actually what the vast majority of of humans are are well adapted to. But it's it is interesting to note that there are exceptions and there are um, hunter gatherer populations that eat much higher fat or eat, that eat much higher carb and much lower protein. Um, and 
probably going back to Stacy's point on this question is probably macronutrients matter a lot less than micronutrients when it comes to our health. And probably if we're getting the full complement and diversity of micronutrients, we can probably tolerate a huge range of different macronutrients. So um, in that sense, Kimberly's friend is right. Um, but I think that, again, you know, keeping a food journal and being mindful, making sure your caloric intake is not through the roof, because as much as um, weight, you know, being a healthy weight is more complicated than calories in and calories out, uh, calories are still a thing that actually matter. So, um, you know, one of the things that I think the majority of people will find that their caloric intake just naturally decreases on paleo. Um, but there is the other experience where people go really nuts on nuts. See what I did there? Ha, <laughs> ha, ha. I mean, when um, you're going nuts on nuts and you're putting butter in your coffee and, you know, you're adding avocados to everything because you hear that this is the thing to do with paleo, then like before you know it, you've just added two to 4,000 calories to a natural diet that you wouldn't necessarily have done otherwise. So it's just, it's about what your goals are and what you're into. <laughs> like, I, I know that people want more information than that, but. There's a lot. I think yeah. we gave some excellent starting, starting points so, and for thought. Yes. So I have gotten this question a few times and while we're on the topic, I'm just going to address it because I haven't chimed in when you've given macronutrient recommendations before. And I did talk about changing up my macros, um, when I stopped lifting so much. So I will say that, um, I have been doing this ratio for over two months now. I am currently at 50% fat, 30% protein, 20% carbohydrates as my goals. Sometimes I fluctuate with the fat and the carbs, but I try to always keep the protein. I get added protein from broth and collagen from vital protein. So it's usually about 20 to 25% max from food. And then I'm getting additional collagen as that extra 5%. Um, I find that this has worked really well for me. I was having, um, I was getting into some thyroid flare issues a couple of months ago from um, specifically stress and inflammation. I talked on the show about how I was focusing on bringing down inflammation and had kind of quit sugar and alcohol and things like that in order to help and went more strictly AIP as well as incorporated this macro. Um, I can say that it is difficult to get in enough vegetables um, without kind of going over carbohydrates if I'm doing a lot of starchy vegetables, if I'm doing things like gluten-free pizza. So honestly, this macro has really helped me focus on making sure that I'm getting those vegetables because I know that if I, you know, futz around with some of the foods that aren't the best yes foods, so to speak, then it really does affect what I'm trying to achieve. And so um, I have had great results. I haven't had any issues with digestion and the gallbladder and all that kind of stuff. I thought that going this high fat, I would have that problem, but I haven't. And um, I've also lost a few pounds, which is great. So I will just say that, you know, a lot of people have asked, I, I do post um, most of the foods that I eat. I don't always put on like what I drink a cup of broth and stuff like that into the, my fitness pal, but that is available if people are, are interested. Um, because I know as you're starting out trying to figure out like 
what to eat when and how much of this and all that kind of stuff can, can feel overwhelming. So, um, it's why Sarah and I put, you know, our plates out there and our lives out there so that people can at least see, okay, this is what they're eating. And not all of us can eat, you know, three quarters of a plate of dry greens, Sarah. So we just <laughs> try as we might. We can't all be there. <laughs> I do really enjoy plain, plain lettuce, but um, I did not have plain lettuce with any of my meals today. So there you go. Um, I'm actually not that far from you. So I'm at about, um, I, my target is 30, 30, 40. Um, but what I target is 30% um, protein. And then I don't care if my which one of my fatter carbs yeah, exactly. is Exactly. That's, that's much and more so, my priority so as well. So I, for me, I'm counting, the things I'm counting is I try to hit all my micronutrient targets for the day. So I try to hit the recommended daily allowance of everything, including my 25 grams of fiber. Um, and I do the same thing that you do. So I, I probably have one serving of something starchy during the day and, and it's a moderate sized serving and everything else is non-starchy. Um, and, um, and so uh, it's been working really well for me. I've been doing this for a little over a month, and I've also lost some weight. And um, and I think for me, it's uh, the one of the biggest things has just been the act of journaling my food. I talked about this in our our New Year's resolution show that that was my one and only New Year's resolution this year was to write down, um, was to keep track of of everything I'm eating to just have that awareness. Um, so that I'm not eating reflexively. And that doesn't mean I don't have high days. I don't have days where I'm like, all right, I'm going to eat this treat, but I write down that I ate that treat. And, um, and then it becomes more of a thought out decision and rather than, rather than a compulsion. Um, and, um, but yeah, so I'm, I really am just looking at, you know, my, my goal for the day is to hit my micronutrient targets. I'm hitting all my vitamins and minerals and fiber. Um, and I'm, um, and about 30% protein, and then also trying to maintain a fairly small caloric deficit. The problem with big caloric deficits is they can mess with your hormones and make weight loss maintenance incredibly difficult. So it's a very moderate, long game, um, but it's been really fantastic for my energy levels, really fantastic for my sleep quality, um, and really fantastic for my mental obsession with food. Um, for some reason, being more thoughtful about what I'm eating is making me think about food less. Isn't that weird? It's the same way with me, honestly, because I, you know, we have talked before about emotional eating in the past and making it a math equation, which is essentially what I'm doing, creates, like removes the emotion out of it and creates like a different kind of obsession for my brain. I'm not sure if that's necessarily like healthy to not walk away from the obsession entirely, but it it's a step in the right direction for sure and it allows me to to focus my energy about food on something other than you know the emotions and that kind of stuff and because i know that i'm tracking um it makes me more mindful of i'm not just going to you know have this emotional binge that i i really want to have you know it's okay for me to you know enjoy this thing that you know if i want to treat myself or, you know, I'm in a social situation. I, I know what my boundaries are because it's a math equation. <laughs> can, right. can I balance out that math equation later or not? And 
do I care today if my math doesn't come out perfect? And it's a much different thought process than um, shame or guilt or um, frustration or sadness taking over and making those decisions. I love it. Um, so I think we could probably answer a question, these types of journal questions uh, for hours. Maybe what we'll do <laughs> is we'll um, put together another podcast with similar general health questions for the not too distant future. Um, but I think we should wrap it up. Um, do you have any, I mean, we kind of, we had a pretty good news and views section. I feel like we've done, done. Is there anything we've been missing? Oh, I know. I know what I missed. Um, the next you can, hashtag, this, you keep doing this challenge. thing in the show where you're like, Hey, Stacy, I'm giving you this opportunity to talk. No, just kidding. <laughs> Uh, I would love to shut my mouth and let you talk right now. If that's what you're telling me you'd like to do. No, I'm just taking the opportunity to call you out. That's all. Go ahead. Yeah, I did just do that because, so what just happened right there was I was thinking while I was talking and then I had an idea. And so then I ran with it. I, I got you. Go ahead. Um, so the, the next uh, Go to Bed group challenge, which is hosted by the Go to Bed Facebook and Instagram pages, starts this Sunday. Um, and if you're not familiar with that, I highly recommend going back and listening to our Go to Bed episode from a few weeks ago um, when the Go to Bed online program launched. But the feedback from this program has been phenomenal. Uh, people are seeing amazing health results with um, these really small tweaks to focus on improved sleep. And um, I've had so many people tell me they can't believe that this amount of information is coming in an ebook that it, it like that nobody puts together ebooks with this, this level of, of crazy stuff in it. Um, the reason why it's an ebook is because and not a print book is simply because the scientific research on sleep is spiking right now. And I really needed, um, I needed a, the mechanism of being able to update to reflect, um, that information as it came in. And I'm already have updated the book. There's another update coming. Once you buy it once, you will always get all of the updates for free. Um, so you can find out more information at the forward slash go to bed, um, and get yourself a pair of amber tinted glasses so you can start the next group challenge on Sunday. It's pretty awesome. Sleep does great things. Uh, the answer to your question is no. I don't believe that I have anything else to add. I want to encourage everyone to join in handstand month. Uh, Sarah got inverted this week. I did. I did a headstand. I couldn't get a handstand. I found the, the pressure on my wrist was really intense. Interesting. I was able to get into a headstand a couple of times. I don't like headstands because of pressure on my neck, but, well, you know, to each their own. So, in, I mean, I think I was getting a lot of pressure on my hands. So it was like this fine balance of my head was taking enough so that it wasn't too bad on my wrist. My, my hand, arms were taking enough so that it wasn't too bad on my neck. It works for me is what I'm saying. And I will continue to work on my handstands. But I had one way of getting upside down and holding it for a little while. So that was that was cool for me. My point is that it's a lot of fun and it is happening. Like a ton of people are doing it and telling me that they're excited and doing things for the first time because they've been inspired. So 
join us. It is super fun to do things with other people versus all by yourself. And um, we have been periscoping, which is weird. We've been blogging new recipes. Um, So make sure that you're signed up for all the things and stuff, Um, all the social medias and all of the newsletter links, all that kind of stuff will be uh, in the show notes. But of course, you can subscribe on both directly, Sarah and I's blog, thepaleomom.com and paleoparents.com. Thank you to everyone that voted in Paleo Magazine Best of 2015. Um, Honestly, it was an honor just to be nominated. And I'm sure, Sarah, you can say the same thing. So I agree. I want to thank everyone for doing that. And just as a last reminder, if you haven't yet, or it's been a while, if you could leave us a review in however it is that you're listening, it would be much appreciated and help other listeners be encouraged to find the show. And thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.